0: Welcome to the Mentus Podcast. Today we've got Mike Hardy with uh, he is the founder and the managing partner of cyrus, uh, Cyrus Capital Group, which is an OZ fund, and he is a managing partner of Churchill Mortgage. Uh, thank you for coming on. Nick, it's
1: a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so Mike, you have a tremendous amount of experience. Uh, you know, you lead a team that does over hundred million dollars in loan origination a year. You're active in the commercial real estate or, well, in the real estate world, uh, I guess on the residential side and on the commercial side. And I'm really eager to to talk to you a little bit about the differences that we've seen in the market and how this uh, this climate that we're in might be an opportunity for people going forward. Uh, and I certainly would like to dive into the opportunity zone. So I think uh, to kick it off, you are, you are somewhat of an expert in, in 2008. Uh, and, and today's downturns, can you give us a little bit of understanding where we're headed, pricing of things, uh, you know, mortgage rates, and how how is the market uh, gonna change over the next few years? Absolutely,
1: yes, I, I do. I actually have many hundreds of hours into looking at specifically the difference of where we are today compared to the 08 uh, era. Um, it's kind of a passion of mine. So a little bit of a labor of love. Uh, but yeah, I I am uh, I'm super intrigued. I mean, m- managing a, a good amount of my own uh, real estate and then the, then our fund as well. And so having uh, getting as close to a crystal ball is important to me. And I think that there's a, there's a saying I like, which is I think it's Mark Twain. It's like history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it very much rhymes. And so we we need to look at what's happened in the past. But there was such a run up in residential real estate, and then obviously a major correction. There's a there for a while, it's starting to dissipate a little bit, but there's not, not by any means gone. There's a lot of thinking that because there was such a run up, that that same thing has to happen again. And so what we wanted to do is look at the what's under the surface, what caused that to happen, looking at the fundamentals, what's the same and what's different. And so there's a few things that are the same, but there's a there's a handful of things that are very different this time. And so you know because of that, um, we we expect a very different outcome. Um, for the next couple
0: of years. Unpack some of those differences.
1: Yep. Sure. So let's look at, you know, anytime I'm going to want to understand the the values of real estate in the future, there's four things that I want to look at. And it's, let's just look at the basics. It's what 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 does the supply look like now and the supply look like in the past? What does the current demand look like currently? What was it in the past? What's our future demand going to be? I'll talk about demographics in a minute. And then how about the credit environment specifically? And then, of course, affordability. And when we look at those four things, the affordability is equally challenged, actually even more so than it was in 08. Um, but when we look at the other three and we look at the credit market and I'm and speaking from a, from having perspective of our group, we've helped about I don't know, just about 5,000 families with purchase or refinance over the last five years. And so we have a lot of you know, not only do I have industry data, but I've got firsthand data as well. So we get to see the profile of the client and it's the strongest type of client. Um, The the paper is, is, is solid is my point. Obviously very different, you know, back in the past where that was not the case. Um, That's the credit side. Here's what's interesting. When we look at the difference in supply, we got up pretty close to 4 million homes available in terms of inventory nationwide toward the peak, kind of like in the you know, 06, 07 range. We're under a million right now. I was just looking. I'm in the city of Laverne, Laverne, Southern California. There is 16 active listings in the city of Laverne. I've got investment property in Pasadena. There's 80 listings in Pasadena. There's only 13 under a million dollars in Pasadena. It's like there's, there's no supply. Of course, we know you can get a really good idea where values are going to be based on those fundamentals. And then we look at the demand. And I think something that not many people are aware of is that there was a dramatic fall off of buyers coming into the marketplace because people buy typically between 30 and 35 years old, overwhelmingly. And there was a deep drop off that happened right as we got to 2006. And it fell off a cliff from buyers coming to the marketplace right at the same time as there's a flood of inventory and a lot of the loan programs evaporated. It was the perfect storm. And we look at where we are today. And if you look at the demographic, rolling demographic charts, and you look at the wave of millennials and then the post-millennials coming in, they're just flat out is not enough homes to absorb the supply of people that need a place to live, need homes. We're, we're short somewhere three to 5 million homes nationwide residential side from, you know, the various sources that I'm seeing. So I'll hit pause there, but major difference in the basics of supply and demand. And then of course the credit.
0: Okay. So we have a huge demand for for houses, which of course drives up pricing. No, one's got supply. Uh, Pretty much when I say no one, I mean, market over market, over market throughout the country. There's the same story is repeating itself. Home builders are pulling back a little bit because the cost of building is is still up and the interest rates are high and they want to make sure that they can sell them. But it doesn't mean they're pulling back as much as they did in 2008. But I definitely have seen, you know, you're seeing a slowdown in the new starts. So that's going to make the problem worse, is it not?
1: It is. And there is, it's one of the challenges builders have is it's just, you know, what's the price point that you're able to actually... End up being profitable, and then of course you've got the combination of uh, various regulatory licensing fees. That, that there's a big hurdle to start just to get up and off the ground, and then the you know cost of carrying cost of financing is up uh, pretty significantly, and then affordability challenges. So you're you're spot on. I mean, what we have to look at is existing inventory, and then expectation of new builds flowing into the marketplace, and that's a little bit constrained simply because the economics just aren't there. So it's there's no easy, quick solution to it. And that's one of the reasons why for our model, when we look at this, we see a lot of support in the residential space. A lot of folks will say, well, yeah, but the affordability is there. There's so many more buyers. Um, the the buyer, the, I mean, when I look at the marketplace and I'll speak from the, the markets that I'm familiar with, we have 27% cash buyers in the marketplace. We have 33% first-time buyers that have affordability challenges but there's buy downs and you know uh, stair step options and some creative ways that solve a little bit of that. But then you've got that middle section where there is they're not happy about having interest rates in the sixes or sevens instead of you know twos, threes, and fours, but they can afford it. And also, people have the issue is of where do I put my money? And so uh, those are sort of the moving parts. But from that, I see a lot of support. For residential real estate, and also simply because of the basics of supply and demand, and that we're not going to be able to build fast enough to offset the population that needs housing.
0: So you would buy right now? I am buying right now. I absolutely am. Yep. So put okay. Let not that we not that we do a lot with first-time home buyers, um, certainly in our business, but I'm sure you guys do. I mean, what do you? What's the recommendation? Are you telling to sit tight, rent for a while, and uh, you know save up the money? Or are you guys saying, bite the bullet and refinance down the road, even though there's transaction costs involved with that?
1: Right. I, no, absolutely. I mean, my my position is that if somebody can afford to buy responsibly, they should in this market. The wind- so Don't stretch it. Don't okay. stretch it. Never stretch it, right? Stretching it is a recipe for, you know, I, I always approach things from a, a place of, Mark Markets can stay irrational longer than most people can stay solvent if they're not prepared for times of irrationality. So don't stretch it. Number one is responsibility um, and having a level of confidence in, you know, the capacity for whatever that is, the likelihood of interest rates being lower in the future and being able to restructure debt is very high. You can never bank 100% on it, but if somebody can get in and afford it, they'll be looking back, my opinion, a year from now, depending on the area, with some reasonable appreciation for a series of reasons. Uh, so it would be in their best interest from a net worth standpoint financially if they can buy today.
0: Okay. So you can't buy, feel like you're getting ripped off by the, the landlord who has to increase rent because they've got increased borrowing cost, and you you get into this nasty cycle. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who are frustrated that they can't get ahead. Even, even the ones who are making good decisions with their money. I'm not talking about the people who could, you know, take a, a little haircut on how much they're they're going out to eat and on vacation. I'm talking about the person who's responsible, went, did the right thing, and, and is just really not able to get over the finish line. And, and you're seeing some flight, uh, you know, out of markets like you know California and New York City and Chicago into maybe cheaper markets like even Huntsville Alabama is blowing up right now because it's way more affordable to purchase a house. You know, like so these people are you know upset like what's your advice to them? I mean I, I get asked all the time. I'm not the expert in that and I'd love to be able to relay some you know some good advice.
1: Yeah, and I mean these are the kind of things where there's no easy there's there's no easy solution for somebody that just doesn't have the capacity and the capacity challenges are getting you know, exacerbated with the supply and demand imbalance. I think there's always creative solutions. I mean, one of them is somebody could buy, in, in some cases, it's actually easier for somebody to buy a two, three or four unit property and live in one because they can use the some of the rental income from the other units to help with qualifying. So there's a lot of different ways to get from point A to point B. It does take a level of creativity and, you know, maybe it's a side hustle as well. I mean, I, I think we go through, like, here's kind of how I look at it. Real estate, Residential real estate in normalized markets going to trend about between four and five percent over the last hundred years. And so, you know, rule of 72, that means that a, a property is gonna double in value in 15 years. And in an aggressive market, it might double in 10 years, and in a slower market, it might double in 20 years, right? It's gonna be sort of growth of inflation and just typical progression of things. So the question is number one, can I do it responsibly? But number two, I like this approach in all areas of life. So let me just sort of throw this out there. I I believe that if somebody really wants to find a way, they can find a way. In this country, in business, we can find an excuse or we can find a solution. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying there's a solution there. So there's an exercise I go through all the time when I get stuck somewhere called mindstorming, where I will list out 21 different ways of solving an issue if life depended on solving it. Life depends on it. How do I figure out how to get a home? Okay, well, guess what? If you go through the first three things, which is can I afford it based on X, Y, and Z and the answer is no, 80% of the population just goes back to whatever they're doing. So I think the people that win are the people that say, "I will find a way. How do I do it?" And my belief is that maybe not all, and maybe not yet, but a lot more people could solve it if they were super intentional about getting creative and maybe finding, you know, finding a a way around. I my thought is this. I don't always know how I'm going to do something, but, and whether I'll go over the wall through it, under it, around it, but I know I'll find a way. And so I think the first step is just starting without that approach.
0: That makes sense. I mean, I, I agree with you that if if now is the time for your family or, you know, like if, if you need to figure a way to buy a house, you'll, you'll make it happen. I, I see it time and time again, it just, whether or not you want it bad enough right now, um, you know, kind of taking us forward a little bit. I mean, we finally saw some pause in interest rates from the Fed. There's still a lot of uncertainty about how fast they're going to bring them down or if they're going to keep going up the rest of the year. And then what does that do to business plans? Are we going to see, you know, the home builders continue to pause? Are they going to slowly, you know, bring it, uh, you know, more product back onto the market? Like, what are your thoughts on the future, the next few years? And this could be like globally, it doesn't have to be directly to like a single family house, but like, the commercial real estate world is going to go through a major office reset here. That is going to bring some contagion into the market. When you see major lenders, you know, writing down billions of dollars, I'm sure that will affect a lot. Uh, so, you know, like what, what are we going to be seeing over the next 12, 18 months?
1: Right. And so there's a couple of different areas to speak from. So my, the uh, as far as interest rates go, I mean, that obviously cascades all the way through. So the big question to answer first is, what will happen with inflation? Will inflation be tamed? Yes or no. And that is going to be the primary driver of what happens with, um, you know, the longer term mortgage rates. They're going to mirror it to some degree. It's sort of like a a dance partner of 10 year treasury and mortgage backed securities over time. So I say that because I think that's the, you know, so what do you
0: think is going to happen with the inflation?
1: Yeah. Well, and (laughs) so that's the rock and a hard place that we're stuck between so i would expect if i just have to make a call and i i think that uh you know current current fed governors don't want to go down as having missed the concept of oh it's transitory oops it isn't and then inflation i think they're going to continue to stay over aggressive to make sure that they you know squash it to the degree possible so they're going to take an air on the side of even at the risk of you know, uh maybe deeper recession in order to not have a repeat of, you know, the the Volcker
0: era. So, so you believe they'll get the genie back in the bottle. I don't
1: like- I, I think that they're I think that they're that they can't say this, but they are doing everything in their power to get the genie back in the bottle because the repercussions of a of stagflation are going to be much worse. And so they have to solve it and they're backed into a corner. Um, and they have the data and they know that they're, they need to find a way to kill it. And I mean, we can all look back at, at history and there's, you know, there, there was the impression that we had gotten the best of inflation. Then it was two years later, it erupted again. And so, um, you know, folks are looking at the track record and saying, you know, how, how do I solve this? I think, the, I think that there is going to be um, Powell's forced to be more aggressive in order to not repeat what happened back in the 70s. So that said, um, that means that the back half of this year, next year, mortgage-backed securities, mortgage interest rates come down. And as they come down, um, that opens up some additional
0: affordability, of course. Well, so let's 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 define down because the Fed is saying that it's gonna take two years to come down. We don't know if they're writing out because they said it was transitory and all, you know. <laughs> we know that the Fed says things and it's likely to change, but you're saying come down. Are we talking like quarter points, half points, full points?
1: Yeah, so right, that's a great question. Um so there's two separate things that we should uh, we should expand on here. One is going to be you know federal funds and discount rate, and the, the other is going to be the expects of, expectations of inflation that will directly uh, uh, impact mortgage-backed securities and 10-year treasury. And so as, I mean, it seems counterintuitive, but as the uh, federal funds rate, let's just say that after this pause, it increases again and again. And that level of tightening that we all know is going to show itself kind of six months delayed economically. um, That will the market then will say we are getting in front of inflation, and longer term rates will come down at that point. So my, if you're asking me where I think they're going to be, I think that we end up seeing instead of being uh, in the sixes and sevens, I think we're one percent lower. Um, six to 12 months from now in terms of mortgage-backed securities, which is the area that I know best. Um, And that frees up. In fact, let's see how this cascades into buyers. Like, you know, the one of the questions is always the level of how will a recession impact the world of real estate? Like, what will a recession do from, you know, a job loss recession? And one of the things I don't think most people realize is that, let's just say that there is a recession we move there's another million people that are unemployed okay if there's a recession and recessions are of course deflationary by nature what happens to interest rates well interest rates are going to be lower through a recession and if every quarter percent that interest rates come down i'm talking long term bond not not uh, federal funds but every quarter percent that interest rates come down you open up about another 1.2, 1.25 million people that can now qualify to buy that couldn't qualify before. Like that's the lever. So we could end up with 5 million more people that are able to afford a home with rates 1% lower, um, even if we have a million people that are unemployed, right? So the that's the reason that usually if you look at real estate and you look back over like the last six to eight recessions, Real estate has moved sideways to up through a recession, except for the last one, because it was a real estate-caused recession rather than a recession that caused real estate to come down.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, what you're saying is interest rates come back down, supply is still going to be short, builders can't build them overnight, and you're going to have a ton of people ready to buy a house, so prices are going to go back up. That's and exactly what I'm saying. It, it's yep. Yeah, it really does come down to, uh, you know, really getting creative, like you were saying. I mean, it, everybody has their own situations. I wouldn't recommend anybody to overbuy real estate. I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody to buy a house that they plan on moving out of one year later either. I mean, it, it's got to be kind of a well thought out type of thing. Um, I think everybody has their own opinions on on good times to buy or bad times to buy. But I think... If you look at everything in the long term and this has been my opinion if you especially with real estate if you just get into the game you let time kind of take care of the rest it usually works out uh, in in your favor um, but you know that's that's at least been my experience i I'm, I'm interested to see how the next year plays out i agree with you on the interest rates they're probably gonna have to come down precipitously over the next you know 12 18 months uh, as, as some people probably are no longer employed. But then again, everybody is still having hiring issues. So uh, we'll see how it it is.
1: It's a new animal we're in. And, you know, when it comes to real estate, I think people fear what they don't understand. And so that that fear, there's a lot of fear that prevents people from taking action simply because, I mean, people were people were scarred by what they went through. Like the folks buying today, they watch their, you know, their family, their parents lose their home. Mm -hmm. That takes a generation to forget that lesson. And so that's still fresh for a lot of people without having, and you look at every other media headline, and I actually have a chart on this somewhere um, that shows the list of media headlines talking about the negativity of housing from 16 all the way through current, and they're all negative, right? And so people are bombarded with the negative it's going to crash message, message without understanding like these undercurrents that are based on population and supply and demand. So that's the stuff that I think is important to know.
0: Yeah. And I think you put on the sideline, you know, that that some other kind of crazy black swan event that would, you know, like a nine 11 or something like that, that would, or a a world war three, let's hope none of those things happen, but like if they did, but of course that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about using, you know, reasonable expectations based on previous experiences we've seen in, in the economies and, uh, I think you're right. Real estate is a good place to, to park your money. Speaking of parking your money, you're the founder of Cyrus OZ, um, which is an Opportunity Zone fund, uh, or Cyrus Capital, rather. I'm sorry. And you know, you you invest your own money and clients' money through Opportunity Zones, and uh, we've we've done a few Opportunity Zones here, but it's uh, you know been a program that I don't know. You know, has been utilized to its fullest potential, and I, I think that a lot of people are still surprised about the the good benefits that you can still receive from being in one one of those funds. You mind giving us a you know quick overview where where you think OZs are going to go? Do you think we're going to get a new uh, round of legislation that renews the program, or do you think uh, you know it's kind of going to die off after?
1: You know, I, I hope it renews. It's it's the best thing in the tax code that I've seen in 100 years. I I, I stumbled across it by accident and was doing a talk to um, CPAs, advisors, and real estate agents, investors on various tax strategies. And there's a, there a group of us doing this. And we had a 1031 expert and um, we had a 721 provision expert in charitable remainder trust, charitable e-trust, and um, DSTs. And And there was the, the OZ was the new kid on the block and there was nobody to, we could not find an expert, you know, it's a number of years ago. And I said, you know what, let me, let me take this one. I'll, I'll get up to speed on it, take a smaller section and just present the strategy. And so I had to spend, you know, three weeks preparing for this talk and it was just kind of mind blowing to see what was possible here. Um, So after doing that presentation, I'm thinking, you know what, if I look at the amount of capital gains that I've paid over the years that I couldn't find a 1031 solution, you know, that, that worked and I've just paid the tax. And I looked at the power of that compounding over a decade and exiting tax-free. It was a really big number about threw up just like looking at like looking into the past. So the follow-up thought is, well, there's a lot of different, uh, there wasn't many folks that had expertise in this. It's a new animal. It's not something that's kind of, you know, uh, tax professionals typically look in the rear view mirror, not forward. And so, broker dealers, financial advisors, it's not part of their product mix. And so it's just kind of a no man's land. And then come to find out, you know, a lot of the ultra elite and wealthy and family offices, this is part of their overall planning, but it never really makes its way down from, you know, the, to, to the main street. And so what I saw was an inefficiency and an opportunity for folks like me that, that uh, have gains And want to have not compromise on investment strategy and returns, and found have a real nice little niche. It's kind of like below Wall Street, but above the mom and pop, where there's a lot of inefficiency that exists in the marketplace. And so, the short version of the tax benefit for the for the listener is that, and it's ideal for someone that has a a busted 1031 exchange. Um, If there's capital gains that don't have a better solution, taking the gain portion. Can separate your base, take your basis back, but taking the gain portion and moving that into a qualified opportunity fund, what's called a QOZ, the benefit for the investor is as long as the money stays in a QOZ or QOF for a 10-year window. And with ours, you can exit once a year if needed. There's a liquidity option. You lose the tax benefit, but life happens. But as long as the money stays in a qualified opportunity fund for a 10-year window all of the growth will then be able to exit tax-free very much like a Roth IRA. Like amazing, amazing. So you think about the, the power of that over time. And I mean, I'm kind of a simple guy with these things. Let's just look at, again, rule 72. If we're, we're running better than this, but if, if, uh, if a fund runs 11.6% over a 10-year window and someone has a million dollar gain, that will then turn into a $3 million tax free exit right so you have to look at the equivalent return you'd have to get if you're paying tax along the way and that's a that's a number that most people are not anywhere close to willing to take the risk you know for where those returns are we're running 13. Point, uh, 13.5% annually even through the downturn so our track record's strong kind of because of our niche but that's the benefit of the oz is best thing i've ever seen compounding growth tax free exit
0: and then you know to put it into like a number, you know, we've heard like three, three and a half percent increase in overall return on average, and this is across everybody by investing into the opportunity zone funds. Uh, you know, so like if you are projecting a thirteen and a half percent IRR on the project, um, because of the tax deferments, um, it, you know, it's averaging out to be at least three percent, three and a half percent higher than that on on a return. So now you're your upper teens, and that's uh, you know, that's a very solid investment. And you get to leave with your money, literally able to go into your bank account and not pay a single cent in taxes. It's unbelievable.
1: It's unbelievable. It yeah. will sunset in 2026. So no new money unless there's an extension, and you know, jury's out on that, but unless there's an extension on this, no new money will be able to be contributed after 2026.
0: And so now, and if money's contributed right. now, you still get to delay the taxes that you pay on the initial investment until 2026. And I believe you get a 10% discount on those taxes when you pay them in 2026. That's see, right. So means-
1: the the 10% step up in basis, there's initially a 15 and there's a 10. And that's uh, that's no longer on the table because it needed to be, there was a window of time for that. So the step up in basis of... of uh, 10% um, is is no longer on the table unless it's extended. I'll have to think back through how this works, um, but you're right. The tax is due. The capital gains tax is going to be due April of 2027, right? Whenever you're paying the tax for that, for the 2026 tax year. So what we've set up, I mean, I'm an investor at heart. So this is set up really to solve the, the pain and the problem that an investor has without compromising on Return. So, how do we maximize the what's allowed in the tax law and and not compromise? So, we've set up the ability for an investor, if needed, to do a margin loan against their account in 2026 to pay that tax in 2027, up to 20% of their initial contribution. So, a million dollar investor, let's just say that their tax is 200,000. They, like most people. I mean, common sense would dictate that if you have the outside liquidity, pay the tax on that side because you've got the, you know, you've got the compounding growth you're taking off the table. But as a point of flexibility, if somebody needs the liquidity, they can margin to twenty percent, wash loan equal crediting rate, so it's a it's a you know a net zero to the client. Take the two hundred thousand and then pay the tax right. bill at that point.
0: Uncle Sam gets his check and then the investment continues to grow. Right. And that investment then is tax free on the other side. So, that's right.
1: But we wanted it to stand on its own if needed. I mean, again, I was thinking I'm an investor. How do what is the best possible scenario in all cases for me as an investor without compromising the integrity and structure of the investment strategy? So that's the thinking there.
0: I really like the loan idea. I mean, it, it really protects investors and. Uh, you know, give some options, that, that's a really creative, creative solution. Thank the, you. the piece for the opportunity zone that I've seen some pushback on is, oh, you have to go to tertiary markets, or, uh, you know, maybe it's not as good as, you know, quality investments. And I think it, you know, there is some benefit in seeing some of that money go to new markets. But really, the investments that I've seen that have really attracted a lot of capital are of institutional grade, they're well managed. And, you know, they're, they're, do, you know, delivering on their return expectations. So maybe you're not in the heart of uh, you know New York City or you know in in downtown Tampa or something, but you're you're still in relatively attractive growth markets that are uh, you know, kind of placed through all throughout the the nation. So has that been your experience as well?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, we're we're nimble enough, and you know part of our our strategy comes from just because of being on the mortgage banking side, um, I have a lot of real estate professional relationships where we become known as cash buyers and can move quickly. And so there's certainly some relationship enhancement to returns because of a lot of the things we're seeing where they're, they're not on the MLS. And so we're putting deals together, you know, private deals together quickly. So, um, I mean, we all know this, the uh, you have, you have to work through the strategy, but the you know, the 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 money is made and the strategy is sound before you buy, you know. Um, and so that's been one of our advantages is just the the long-standing relationship, early looks, cash close. Um, and then we can build quite efficiently. Um, but that's been our strategy. So we're not willing to compromise on returns. We just make sure that our risk is very contained and then you know, we'll, we'll maximize the returns and then the relationships help us quite a bit as well. But we're, again, we're above some of the little guys. Um, and then just below, below some of the bigger guys that seems to be the the sweet spot for us. Where are you finding your typical investor?
0: 1031 exchange being busted is a really, I've literally seen it. I've helped somebody do it. I've literally seen that exact scenario. They got right to the end still had a lot of money left over from that transaction. And they're like, oh man, I'm going to owe how much. And then the, the ability just to simply put it into an account. There's no penalties if you don't ever invest it. If you just end up two years later saying, okay, well, I didn't invest it. You just pull it out. Then you owe the tax. But at least you got the chance to like take a look at the market and, you know, it expands that window tremendously.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's the the upside is so significant and the downside is so so minimal if someone has, I mean, that's the beauty of the 1031 is that the majority of cases, I'll use a recent one. It was a I think it was about a million dollar sale. Um, there's about 400,000 of gains, property was free and clear, basis was, you know, 60,0. 000. Well, the the neat the cash has to go somewhere, right? It has to go somewhere. And so, like the way I look at it is is there's a there's a you know what, $175,000, right off the top loss if you just write a check and pay the tax so it's crazy not to at least look at the strategy if there's a busted 1031 exchange and then there's a lot of here's the other side again most of it comes through our our realtor network there's a lot of folks where they would sell if they knew about this strategy
0: oh i'd agree with that
1: they don't want to go down the road of a 1031 they want to get out of property management want some liquidity they just don't know this exists and like I, in my opinion, if this were a program that would, I mean, 1031, I believe has been around for is it 100 years, 80 years, something like like a like long time, days. yeah. So if this had has had more time to gain visibility and understanding, every person would be looking at this as a viable option next to a 1031. Oh, it they just, should. They yeah. absolutely should. It just doesn't have enough exposure um, on the main street level
0: yet. I'd agree with that. Well, you know, some of the like you talked about the family offices and everything. I mean, they're they're right up to speed on like all the different 1031 step up in bases, like, for instance, the swap until you drop, uh, you know, kind of analogy where basically you can 1031 until you die and then whoever's inheriting the money gets a step up in basis and you're it's a huge tax loop. I mean, it is a massive tax loop. Right. And that's why I never think that 1031 is going anywhere because all those senators and congressmen are all using it. themselves. They're all doing it. That's right. So, but that swap until you drop doesn't allow you to get some of the cash unless you're able to get into a property and refi some of the cash back out. And I, I, I saw it with a group that, you know, was kind of doing some estate planning and they wanted to just say, you know what, we're going to go into it probably another 10 year hold, but we want to be done after that. And this was perfect for them. They got into it. And after this 10 years is up, they'll be out and the cash will still be there, uh, but it'll be in the, you know, in their account. So interesting to see, but of course, talk with your advisors and, Talk with your advisors, and that's the ideal strategy. I mean, that's that's
1: as as beautiful as it gets. What what? If last I looked, uh, there are about ten percent of intended ten thirty one exchanges bust for one reason or another. And so that's a startling the, number considering it, how many ten thirty ones there are. It 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 is. It's a it's a lot of needless tax paid. And so that's the group that needs to be looking at this. It's an ideal
0: backup plan. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, how much uh, OZ Capital? Are you guys trying to put on the street in the next few years um i would say another 10 to 15 million yeah that's pretty good i mean that's yeah. uh you know that, just like you said that's above the the smaller players but um below some of those institutional guys that have you know of course 10 to 20 million dollars a quarter to put on the street you know it, right it, uh, i you know i back through the great recession i
1: i was in a fund and we we bought about 120 different properties through auction and worked through the exit process. And one of the, one of the things that I learned was having too much cash is not good for returns. And so what, uh, that's sitting on the sidelines that you can't able, that we can't deploy responsibly. So we're, we're very intentional about kind of matchmaking opportunities in cash. But I remember at one point, uh, other players, bigger players started coming into the marketplace and they were willing to buy at a price point that was well above what we were willing to buy at. And so, you know, now now we've got cash and we did phenomenal with our projects, but we all know that if you have cash, your returns are diluted. And so what we want to make sure is that we're maximizing the maximize being efficient with with cash matched with opportunities, um, but not taking undue risk. That's very important. My dad taught me this. I'm always more concerned about the return on my of my money than the return on my money. And so let's just make sure that we're being smart from a from a purchasing standpoint. And I would rather have cash than push money out that shouldn't be pushed out. But I would actually, best of all worlds, is to be strategic in matching cash and opportunity. So that's where we focus.
0: Well Mike, I appreciate you giving us some uh you know background on all that. If people are interested in reaching out to you about Cyrus OZ. Uh, capital uh, or uh, loans or really just real estate in general where's the best place for them to reach you
1: yeah absolutely i'd say i'd say best email is mike at cyrusfund.com c y r u s o z fund.com and uh you know if they want more on me um mikehardy is uh, can kind of see some of the latest projects and of course uh cyrusozfund.com is our website so we can put that in the notes but yeah i'm just a kind of summarize this i'm an investor that realized there was a window of opportunity in the tax code to to do something that would be could potentially be generation changing for for me and for my family and a lot of other people i think are in a similar boat they just don't know what the options are and so really that's the person we're serving is the folks that you get to a certain point and you can do this on your own um yeah. you know, in in and then but there's with the a lot right of advisors, fun. it's not all that hard. It's it's not. It's it's uh it's just kind of a step above what most people want to deal with. And so
0: that seems to be a sweet spot investor for us. So happy to I've found that. that people who are willing to do the step above the minimum do quite well with money, but they the people who just want somebody else to handle it for them, they're shocked when it doesn't work out for them. I'm like, I, I don't understand how you didn't put any energy towards this and you thought this was going to work out.
1: Right. Uh, and, so. and I could get it for a small business owner where they're doing really well and they have a niche. And, I you know, one of the things I'm a recovering, you know, uh, doing lots of things at once. Like I, I there's a couple things I do really well and I stay in that lane. And then I outsource and delegate everything else that's not in a zone of genius for me. So I could understand it for somebody that they have their channel. Um, I don't understand it for folks that are just, you know, that like I was talking about earlier, that, that that don't take the time to what I think is maximize the opportunities that exist in this country, because there's opportunities everywhere. Right. So this is a matter about, uh, you know, just going a little bit above and beyond can make all the difference in the world. So, um, you know, it's it's a. Uh, It's hard to understand sometimes the complexities of human behavior, but I've noticed that people that are willing to put in time and effort and energy over time will do very well in anything they put their mind to.
0: Couldn't said it better myself. Well, I appreciate your time and we'll have to circle back here soon with you and uh, see how how everything is playing out with this current downturn that we're in, but it'll recover. It always does. Always does. Nick, it's been a pleasure. Have a good rest of your day. All right, you too. Take care. Thanks.